This morning, we're going to look at John 6, uh, verses 40 to 60 um, in our Bibles. It's um, continuing this discussion that Jesus has with people following the feeding of the 5,000. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? I don't know how many of you have ever gone through training for life-saving for people who are drowning. Um, yeah, it's, it's at least one. Um, I did it a number of years ago. Uh, I was in a group of, you know, good, good trained swimmers. Um, and the one thing I've remembered ever since, it might not have been the thing they wanted us to remember in reflection, the one thing I've remembered ever since is this. If you are jumping into the water to rescue someone, that person is probably panicking. In their panic, they can grab onto you and drag you down. And they said, do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to stop them doing that, both not just to save your own life, but to save theirs. And they gave us quite emphatic instructions that if it took punching them in the face, then you punch them in the face. 
Now, um, I don't know if that's still the official line. You know, they don't seem to do it in saving lives at sea, RNLI. I mean, maybe that's because they wear body cams and they'd realize everyone would stop giving money to the RNLI if they went around punching windsurfers. But it's just one of those situations in which something is so important, you leave your manners aside for a little while. Now, this passage is a little bit like that. Jesus is very gentle with fragile people, but there are times he is willing to give deep, deep offense. And he does that here. And you'll remember that at the beginning of this story, he'd, he'd fed the 5,000 plus, and you know, that's just the men's, as a woman. This huge crowd, 15,000, 16,000 strong, all following him, all loving him, wanting to make him king. But at the end of this passage next week, there'll be 11 men following him, really following him, just 11 apostles, plus Judas, who doesn't count, because of what he says here. He's willing to lose all those people following him, as long as some people get the real heart of the message. That's what he's after. Not crowds, not popularity, not huge hordes of people following him, but people really getting life. And of course, millions, billions around the world have come to believe truly through those men afterwards. But for that to happen, he had to get across the fundamental realities of what he was saying. So, in our passage, it's moved, as you can see from verse 59, to the synagogue. The people he's talking to, as well, have also altered. Before, it kept talking about the crowd. In this section, it talks about the Jews again. Now, obviously, in our terms, all of them are Jews. Jesus is Jew. Disciples are Jews. They're, they're all Jews. But, at that time, that was more often used to describe the religious authorities, you know, based in Jerusalem, the synagogue leaders, people like that. So here we have Jesus in the synagogue teaching. And the people grumbling, verse 40, are the religious people, the theological know-it-alls. And they begin to step in and say, hey, hang on a second, this isn't right. You know, this is not appropriate. And we might expect Jesus to engage them gently. But he gives us the most in-your-face that there's been in the gospel. The structure of our section is quite clear here. Um, if you have your Bible, you see that. In 40, 41, the, the Jews start grumbling. And then again in 52, they turn from grumbling to arguing sharply. And to each of those things, Jesus gives his own response. In his first response in 41 to 51, he makes it clear he really did come down from heaven. He really is divine. And that is what makes it possible for him to give us life. And in 52 to 59, he makes it clear that he, truly human, the Son of Man, came to give his life in our place so that we can have life. So firstly, 41 to 51. Um, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And, you know, they can't believe that. They, they know this guy. They know where he grew up. They knew, knew his relatives. Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? They remember, perhaps, when he was a little kid, some of them. But Jesus doubles down. Stop grumbling among yourselves. Now, he's not going to deny he's a real human who grew up there. 
but he wants them to know that at the same time he is also the one who came down from heaven. As the creed puts it, he is God from God, light from light, true God from true God. And he wants us them to see two things, that God the Father teaches people about him, drawing them to him, and that God the Father sent Jesus from heaven as his bread through which he feeds us, through which he gives his flesh to give us life. So firstly, God the Father teaches people about Christ. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. In other words, you guys are grumbling, arguing, as if you can sort this out with a good debate. But you can't. And as we've seen time and again in John, it takes something far greater than just human arguing to help people see the truth. We're blind. We need our eyes opened. And God does open eyes. He draws people, it says. And back in the Old Testament, it had been promised again and again, but for example, Isaiah 54, that one day all the children of God's people will be taught by God himself in a much more direct way than ever before. And he's saying, that day is here. It's written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. And what you see when the Father draws people to me is that. And God the Father teaches us to come to the Son, because the Son is the one who has seen the Father. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Only he can truly teach us and draw us to that Father. And so the Father teaches us about him. And the one who believes in this person who has come down from heaven, he who believes has everlasting life. Now, if you've been Christian for long, you may have theoretical questions about why God draws some people and not others. Very happy to talk about those afterwards. But if you look back at your own Christian life, you know very much that it's true. That God drew you, God taught you, God opened your eyes to things that you couldn't see yourself. And of course, that's why we have confidence as well, that he can keep us until heaven, because it doesn't depend on us. From the beginning, it has depended on him rescuing us. Secondly, God the Father feeds us through Jesus, the bread of life. You may remember from last week, from 32 to 33, Jesus reminded them that when the Israelites were fed in the Old Testament with manna. It wasn't Moses who gave it, it was God. And he said to them, it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The Father gives the true bread from heaven. And then he says, I am the bread of life. I'm not like that manna long ago that was just food that gave you life until your next meal. But it was a picture of me, the bread coming down from heaven that gives true and everlasting life. If anyone eats this bread, he said, he will live forever. Just to return to the language of the children's talk, we need a Redeemer who is truly God. We need one who has come down from heaven. 
That's what he's saying here. He is divine in a way no one else is. He says, I'm the only one who's seen the Father who can teach you about him. The Father draws you to me because only I can rescue. Because as we've said so often, we don't just need a teacher. We don't just need an example. It's not enough for us to try and live like Jesus. We must feed on Jesus, in the words of this passage. We must receive our life from him. Now, he'll continue his teaching in a moment in response to his grumbling, but this statement ends with the words, This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Already, he's pointing towards the way he will give his body, the way he will die for us. That brings us on to the second section. You see, God gives us life through Jesus laying down his human life for us. 52 to 59. They are really shocked now. You know, they were annoyed before, grumbling before, but they're really shocked. They don't talk to him. You, know, you notice that. You just, just imagine yourself back in that synagogue and Jesus is standing at the front teaching and they hear it and everyone just turns to the person next to them and says, did you hear what he said? Did he really mean that? He can't say that. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? What's he on about? You know, we're probably used to this language. If you've been in church for a long time, we're used to this language about flesh and blood and eating and drinking, but it's pretty strong stuff, isn't it? My flesh is the bread you need to eat. And they're sitting there thinking, well, pretty sure he doesn't mean cannibalism, but what does he mean? Now, at this point, you expect Jesus to gently explain what he means, to tone things down, perhaps. Uh, it's picture language, understand. But he does exactly the opposite. And the reason he does that is, as we've said, because <laughs> it's so important he gets across this point. And what Jesus teaches really is stranger than we often think. You know, if we listen to it week by week, we can often just sort of take it in our stride, can't we? We just, oh, hum, yep, that's the same old truth we had last week. And a very good preacher, I know, was uh, preaching on this chapter. This chapter which makes it so, so clear that the only way to know God, be rescued, to have eternal life, is for God's miraculous power to come into our lives and rescue us. That we are helpless to save ourselves, that we need to trust in Jesus, the bread of life. We can't get to heaven just by being good. And straight away after the service, someone came up to him and said, So, what you're saying is, we all just need to try harder to be good. That's what they got from his message. Now, that's actually a moment every preacher knows. When you've preached your heart out, you've been clear as you can about something even about the gospel itself. And then someone says to the service, that was marvelous, or after the service, that was marvelous, I loved the bit where you said something or other. And it's the exact opposite of what you meant to say. Now obviously for people like me that probably happens in part because I'm not as clear as I should be. But Jesus won't risk that. He won't stand for that, he won't climb down, he won't make things easy, but misunderstandable. He ups the game in other words. These are Jews he's talking to, They're, they eat kosher food. You know, they don't eat anything with blood in it. Blood is the least kosher thing there is. No black puddings for them. And he says to them, I, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
then he carries on. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Flesh, blood, flesh, blood, flesh, blood. He just repeats it four times. You know, you might imagine yourself back in that synagogue again, in that crowd of good Jews who eat their food, nice kosher food, carefully. You know, the first time he says, drink my blood, there's a ripple of shock that goes around everyone. And then he says it again and again and again. And blood is such an important symbol in the Bible. It's a symbol of life on the one hand. You know, if it's flowing through your veins, you have life, don't you? But it's also the symbol of violent death. To shed blood is to kill. Let that blood out. And he's saying, unless my blood, unless my life gets from my veins into yours, you're doomed. The blood of my life needs to get into you. And that is going to happen through my bloody, violent death. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He's going to give his life, his body to be broken. And he's saying, your life will come through my blood shed. My death is your life. I will die in your place. I will take the punishment that you deserve. Again, back to the children's talk. Why must he be truly man? Because he has to be able to give his body and his blood in our place. He even talks about himself here as the, the son of man. You see that? In verse 53, that title he uses so often about himself that reminds us that he is a typical, real human being. I mean, perhaps the, the best, the perfect, typical, real human being. But he is human. Now, verse 56 is really important for understanding how this works. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. When he talks in these terms, we've seen him use the word believe, we've seen him use the words eating and drinking. He's talking about something that joins us to him. Not just an idea in our head, but something that makes us one with him. It's back to the old question, you know, how can someone be punished in someone else's place? How, how is that right? Well, Jesus has in mind that we are joined to him more intimately than any marriage or, or family. You know, you can't take a prison sentence for your family, but if they rack up a nice big fine, you can help them pay it. In fact, if you're married and you have a joint bank account, there might not even be a difference between them paying it and you paying it. And he's saying that in the same way my debts were swept away when I married my slightly more wealthy than I wife. Our debts of sin are swept away when we're joined to him. Jesus is using this language of eating and drinking because it's a picture of bringing his life directly into our lives and his death into them too. In that kind of joining so intimate that marriage is, is only the very beginning of a picture of it. And that's what it is to be a Christian, isn't it? To be joined to Jesus by the power of his spirit so that his supernatural life can flow into us that we may never die. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me.
is the bread that came down from heaven. And his supernatural life flows into us because of it. Now, as we close, a couple of thoughts of how this applies to our lives. Well, firstly, let's think about churches for a second and then think more individually about ourselves. Jesus' example of how he teaches is important here. Scotland is tragically littered with churches where people tried very, very hard not to offend anyone. They made sure that everything difficult or contentious was cut out of their teaching. And as a result, that worked for a while. You know, people wouldn't leave in a huff, people wouldn't walk out of sermons. But at the same time, no one's life was changed. And so slowly, many of those churches have just become clubs. And slowly then, they've begun to die. And that's a big part of why this year is seeing the closure of hundreds of churches across Scotland. Seeing the closure of churches here in Knightswood, tragically. That's a huge part of that. Jesus was at times willing to drive away crowds as long as real lives were truly changed. And in the long run, that grew the church. He lost huge numbers first, but he was willing to do that as long as real life was there. It's like the difference between having a garden of cut flowers and a few little seeds. One may look unspectacular at first, but there's far more life in the long run. For ourselves as individuals, the, the reality is actually the same. This passage is, if not directly offensive to us, we can see how it gave offence in its time. It reminds us that Jesus' teaching does face us with real difficulty and challenge all across the Bible. And when we're really willing to listen, we'll find it hard at times. There are things we will read in the Bible we think, how can that possibly be? And those are the moments where we have an opportunity to grow. There is incredible comfort in this passage for those who would have it. You know, God who teaches us himself, who reaches down into the world. God the Son who became human so we could live. God the Son who gave his life in our place in love for us. Who joins us to himself, gives us his indestructible life. That's amazing comfort. That's the kind of thing that you can have absolute ironclad confidence that if that is true of you, everything is well with your soul ultimately. It can take you through the darkest times. But you have to be willing to go through a certain level of offense, of upset to get there, to lose a little of self-esteem perhaps. If we're to keep on growing as Christians, we have to keep on being willing to face that. Keep on being willing to let Jesus speak to us as we read our Bibles and as we hear sermons or listen to him. For to have him point out things in our lives we don't want to deal with. To point out sins in our hearts we don't want to admit. And to wrestle with truths that we would rather weren't true. But when we do, his indestructible life grows stronger in us. Then we grow. 
then his life blooms in us and will bloom in us. He who feeds on this bread will live forever. This week, let's make sure that day by day we come back to Jesus, come back to feed on him, to find life in him, even when we don't want to, even when it might offend us, even when it might be difficult, because when we do, we will truly find life. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will do this with us. You will strip away our old ideas and preconceptions and help us to really listen to what you have to say. And we pray even more that you will teach us and draw us to Christ. My words can't do that, not without your spirit working in us as well. But you can, you do, and I pray that you will do it in these moments right now, that your power will be at work to teach us about Christ, to draw us to Christ so that we might know Christ and his indestructible life and power at work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.